Dear Lord, we come before you, and Lord, as we open up your word and uh, delve into it, God, uh, here it is. It is always such a blessing. The fact that you give us all of these that we can rely upon as being truth, as being, Lord, uh, something that we can follow in our own lives. So God, I pray that as the message is given, Lord, first off, if there is things that are of you uh, from this message, Lord, that you would etch them upon our hearts. But God, if it is something of man, if it is something from me, Lord, I pray pray that you would stay it and it would fall upon deaf ears. But God, you are so good and your word does not return void. So Lord, as we go into your word, I just pray, Lord, take the things that we might have carried from the outside, from the world, troubles, trials, and tribulations, and just set them aside so that we can truly just sit at your feet and hear your word. God, know how much we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, who wrote the Psalms? If we were to go ahead and say that right off of the cuff, well, we know that David went ahead and he wrote 73 of the Psalms. Then you had Asaph, who wrote 12 of the Psalms. Uh, you also had Solomon, who wrote two, and Moses, who wrote one of the Psalms. Finally, you had the sons of Korah, who wrote 11 of the Psalms. And some of these were Psalms of Lament, which are the ones that we're going to go ahead and look at today. Now, when I first read through these Psalms, I said to myself, I said, okay, well, who were the sons of Korah? So if you would turn with me to Numbers chapter 16. So Numbers chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abram, the son of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, the son of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? So Moses, when he heard this, fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all of his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy. And he will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all your company. Put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourself, you sons of Levi. Jump with me, if you will, to verse 23. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abram and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you become consumed in all their sin. So they got away from the tents around Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. 
And Moses said to them, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. For I have done them, will, done them of my own will. Have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Verse 31, Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking, all these words that the ground split apart underneath them and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korath with all their goods. So they and all those that were with them down alive into the pit, the earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who was around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And fire came down out of, uh, from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. So it doesn't look too good for the Korah family, does it? Um, and it's interesting because when I first read this, I thought to myself, well, okay, well, here it was. The whole family was consumed. So how could these, the sons of Korah, gone on and written the Psalms? If you will, turn with me to Numbers 26, starting in verse 9. Numbers 26, verse 9. The sons of Elab were Nemuel, uh, Dathan, and Abram. These are the Dathan and Abram, representatives of the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah, when they contended against the Lord. And the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When the company died, when the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign. Verse 11, nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. You see, so initially I thought, well, well, wait a second. Is this a contradiction? Do, have I actually found a fallacy with the word of God? No. You see, here it was. Korah and his tent went down, his household goods and everything, but not his sons. As we can see here, the children survived. Now, God judged those that turned against him in that act of rebellion. He purified his people, but he still had a plan and a purpose for the line of Korah. After seven generations, the prophet Samuel arose from the line of Korah. The genealogy is recorded in 1 Chronicles 6, 31 through 38, 1 Chronicles 38, and in 1 Samuel 1, 1. The Korahites became the doorkeepers and the custodians of the tabernacle. And we find that in 1 Chronicles 9, 19 through 21, and 1 Chronicles 2. One group of the Korahites... Um, joined David in various military exploits and won a reputation of being an expert warrior. However, the most remarkable thing to note about the sons of Korah is that during the time of King David, they became great leaders of music in the tabernacle. Herman, the Korahite, had a place of great importance as a singer along with Asaph and Ethan. 
These individuals played an important role in the Thanksgiving services when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. David had formed an elaborate organization of song, of praises, of instrumental music, and prophesizing through these men. Don't you love that about God? Here it is. He still uses broken vessels like you and me. Amen? Amen. So now that we know a little bit more about the authors of the Psalms, let's go ahead and take a look at the Psalm itself. So uh, Psalm 42, starting off in verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. So isn't it great? We sing that hymn, and now you know where the writer got it from. Does your soul pant for God? John 7, 37 and 38 says, If a man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Have you ever gone on a good run? And afterwards, you go to the refrigerator and you grab that nice ice cold uh, uh, bottle of water and you gulp it down and it just refreshes. It refreshes you so much. Our, our relationship with the Lord should be just like that. It should be one that refreshes afterwards. Now, I know some of you are like, okay, Adam, there's no such thing as a good run. Okay. And the only reason why I do it is just to stay in shape, right? Yeah, I know, I know, I get it. But isn't that the right thing to do, right? We go ahead and we work out and it keeps our body in shape. We exercise because it's needed. Our body needs that exercise. It's the right thing to do also in reading scriptures, in praying without ceasing to keep our spiritual body in shape. Amen? And that brings us to our first point. Number one, spiritually thirst for God. Verse two, my soul's thirst for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continuously say to me, where is your God? We hear the lament of the psalmist here. My tears have been food day and night. While they continuously say to me, where is your God? Have you ever been under a spiritual attack? And it's not bad enough that we're going through difficult times or trials and tribulations. But then there's the enemy standing right next to you. Where is your God? Where is he now? He's the one who's supposed to be your comforter. But not he's, he's not there. He's supposed to be your strength. He's supposed to be your shield. Where is your God now? You see, he's right there by your side. And he's never let you go. John 10, 28 says, I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that so powerful? Isn't that so poignant? Here it is. Once we are in his grip, he's never going to let us go. See, the enemy though, he gives you lies. He tries to deceive you. But like the psalmist, that doesn't mean that we're not immune to attacks. Because the scripture reminds us that merely naming the name of Jesus makes us ripe for spiritual warfare. Romans 8, 35 and 36. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake. 
We are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, it doesn't say, for your sake, we're going to go ahead and bask in the sun, sip on some iced tea, just enjoy the comfy rays. Does it, right? No, it's quite the opposite. Folks, we're going to have hardship in our lives. We're going to be attacked just as the psalmist is attacked. But do not despair and spiritually thirst for God. Verse 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. With the voice of joy and praise. With a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him. For the help of his countenance. Ah. Do we see a problem here? Look again at verse 4. What does it say? It says, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. Our psalmist stopped doing the very thing that refreshed him and gave him joy. He stopped going to church. How many times have we listened to the enemy when we've had difficult situations and said, I just don't feel like going to church today. Right? I've been there too. But the very best and the very best medicine we need for our sickness is right here. When the psalmist went to church, what did he do? He sang praises of our Lord. Have you ever been lifted up by a song? A nice Christian song or a hymn. Yes, so have I. But instead of going to church and singing praises and worshiping him, instead we go ahead and we revel in self-pity. We wallow in depression. We go deeper into despair. And why? Because we weren't obedient to the word of God and our souls were cast down. But wait, the psalmist doesn't end there. What does he say at the end? He says, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Hope in God. Which brings us to our second point. Hope in God. You see, we can look introspectively at our problem. And forgive me if I've used this example before, but I'd like everybody to go ahead and take their hand and place it up in front of your face. Go ahead and place it up right in front of your face right now. What is it that you see? Well, you see your hand, right? Yeah, that's it, right? But when you pull it away, now what do you see? You see a whole congregation that's willing to love on you, pray for you, and help you through your problem. See, so often we can get tied up when we just focus on the hand itself. And it seems like it's the biggest thing in the room. But when we look to ourselves to solve the problem, we are going to fail Again and again and again. But when we look to God, there is hope. So the second point is again, everybody say it. Hope in God. Yes. Verse six. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mazar. 
Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Now, the psalmist here, when he's, he's remembering Jordan, he's remembering the heights of Hermon. What is he referring to? He's referring to the promised land. He will remember them in order to lift his spirits. If we remember the promises that God gives us, it'll lift our spirits too. No matter how much of a difficult time you're going through, no matter how tough things are, those will pale in comparison to the promises of God. You know, a few uh, few years ago, we went camping at Yosemite. And while we were there, we took a hike. And it was out to Vernon Falls, okay? 318 foot feet of, of falling water. And it was truly amazing. And basically, you could take a two-mile hike, and two miles you could be at the bottom and kind of see the falls off in the distance. Or you could hike a little bit further, all the way up to the top. So we decided to go a little bit further. So we went up, and as we're going up, we're probably about halfway there, when there was this trail that kind of led down and over to these rocks, and up to these rocks next to the waterfall. So I said, let's go check that out. Let's go see this trail. And you could see it was pretty well-traveled. So we went down to the trail, and the trail kind of dipped down, and then you had to climb up onto these rocks. And as you were climbing up over the rocks, immediately you felt the rush of wind from the water that was coming down. You felt the spray, the mist upon you. You you looked up, and because of the mist that was there, there was rainbows all around you. And you could hear the thundering majesty of the waterfall as, as it just washed over you and I looked over at my wife and tears were just streaming down her face it was so beautiful it was so amazing and I don't understand how anybody could look at the majesty of that waterfall the majesty of God at the creation of God and think there is no God see but he gave that And it was something that could go ahead and wash over us. It was something that the waves could billow. And his loving kindness was there in the daytime as it was in the night. You see, the psalmist, even though he might be getting beat up pretty good, and tears had been his food, we have to remember, what does he say here? He still remembers the God of my life. How many times when things get rough, we try a 12-step program or we listen to motivational tapes or we look for guidance or direction from friends and family, right? But what is it that we should be doing? We should be looking to the God of my life, right? Sometimes in life, it hits you pretty hard. It's like, bam! You get hit with a, an audit from the IRS. Bam! We lose a loved one. Or bam! The job that we thought we'd retire from, we just got laid off. You see, we need to pray to the God of my life. 
So many times we have to be, and God allows us to go to the lowest of low, the lowest place in our life before we look up and we start praying and we ask for God's help. When really, that should have been the first thing that we did. Which brings us to our third point. Pray to the God of my life. And make him the God of your life. You see, when the Bible says to pray without ceasing, do we? I mean, honestly, do we? Um, Michelle, she walks around, my beautiful wife, with three stents in her heart. So every six months, she has to go back to the doctor for a checkup. So one time, the last, her last time going, um, here it was. She, she gets to the hospital, and obviously, there's lots of other people with heart conditions because there was no place to park. So she's driving all over the place, trying to find a parking spot, finally gets one, comes in. She's probably about 15 minutes late for a doctor's appointment now. And there was one seat that was left open and she sits down and she sits down next to this older gentleman. And she was like, oh my goodness, parking lot. It was a mess. It was a mess. And he goes, are you a Christian? She said, well, yes, I am. I am. He goes, did you pray about your parking spot? No, (laughs) right? But we should. We should be praying about all things. We should pray without ceasing, right? We should go ahead. It might seem ridiculous, but it's not. It is not ridiculous when we go ahead and we pray while we're driving through the fog on the rim of the 18. It's not ridiculous when we pray about what we should eat or where we should go. Pray to the God of my life. Now, If you think about it, all that prayer actually makes him the God of your life, doesn't it? Right? Okay. How many people uh, were born from a mom and a dad? Okay, good. Everybody in here, right? So, if here it was, you talk to your mom or dad once a week, once a month, would that be any kind of a relationship? So then why do we think that we can talk to God once a week? Or once a month. And think that we're really going to have any kind of a relationship. We need to pray without ceasing. That's how we improve our relationship. That's how we communicate with our God. God wants to bless you. He wants to help you through some of the most difficult times. And you know, I think of my children now. As here it is, they're growing up. One of my, my eldest son, he's already out of the house and married. My eldest daughter, she's about to be married next month. And you know, there are so many times that I wish, I wish that I could just go ahead and grab them by the hand and lead them and say, no, you need to come here. No, you should go and do this. But of course, we have to let go. We have to let them make their own mistakes. But when they come to us and they ask for advice, I want to kill the fatted calf. I want to go ahead and wrap them in, a, in the, the most precious of robes, right? Because I love them that much. And God loves you that much. He's there for you. And he wants to help you through even moments like that. So pray to the God of my life. Verse 9. I will say to the God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemy reproaches me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why do you disquiet within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. You see, in this lament, the psalmist is getting beat up pretty bad, isn't he? Yet he still recognizes God as his rock. And who is our rock? God and Jesus, right? Yeah. Now, Jesus was beaten up pretty bad, right? Here it was. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails. Um, He was beaten. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed. He was like, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He knew he was going to be sacrificed. Yet still, he knew his heavenly father was in control. We come again to the chorus in this psalm. And there is the hope in God. It wasn't an accident that it was uh, in here as a repeat. Was it poetry? Was it a song? Yes. But we're reminded to hope in God. Now, let's look at the following line in scripture. For I shall yet praise him. I shall yet praise him. It doesn't say I'll praise him when all the bad things stop. Or I'll praise him when he delivers me from the trial. Have you ever gotten like that? Well, Lord, I will. I'll go ahead and do that, right? But not yet. <laughs> but what does the psalmist say? No, no, no. He says, I will praise you yet. Praise him in the storm. Not after, but during. I will give thanks. How many of us then, you know, we have that mentality, Right? We need to have that mentality. The psalmist gives us that example. He's got it right. He's being real with God when when he laments to him, but still praising him through the rough times as well as the good. So let us learn from the sons of Korah. Amen? All right. So it goes on, and uh, Psalm 43 uh, though it's divided up, it's actually a continuation of Psalm 42. The original poem was separated into the two psalms that we have today so that it could be more easily used as worship within the temple. Now, Psalm 43 shares the same psalm of lament and uh, a psalm of trust also. And the structure goes like this. Number one, it's a call for vindication from our Lord. Number two... It's a prayer for the psalmist's return to the temple to worship God. And number three, it's a renewed call for hope in God. Verse one, vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause again, an ungodly nation, against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Now, can't you just empathize with the psalmist here? I know every time I turn on the nightly news, I empathize with what he's saying, right? We've got a news that goes ahead and wants to destroy our Judeo-Christian nation that wants to go ahead and drive us as far away from that. That when I watch it, I can see the agenda behind it. I can see uh, the, the, the narrative that they're pushing instead of just saying the facts. And it can get discouraging. I had once heard it said that watching the news actually increases the level of your stress. So I went ahead and I did a quick little search. And lo and behold, what do you think I found? 
Think again before feeling guilty for not keeping up with current events. A national survey conducted by NPR, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and the Harvard School of Public Health found that watching, reading, or listening to the news caused people, people greater stress and anxiety. <laughs> Just think about how that psalmist would have felt if he had to watch the nightly news. I think it would have been a lot more than just five verses. <laughs> right? All right, let's get back on track. Verse three. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. And on the harp, I will praise you. Oh God, my God. You see? So now we know why Terry is so filled with exceeding joy. It's because he gets to praise God on his Fender electrical harp. <laughs> right? Yeah. But the psalmist returns to the facts. God is light. God is truth. And we need to go ahead and let him lead us. Not the nightly news, not our friends, not our family, but God. Got him, Tim? So, again, where does the psalmist find exceeding joy? In the tabernacle. At the church. Do you see a reoccurring theme here, people? So, it's not just Pastor Adam saying, you need to go to church. It's God's word. It's in black and white. Come to church. Not just every Sunday and Wednesday, but be here, okay? Be here. Hear God's truth. So where do we need to be if we want exceeding joy? Everybody say church with me. Church! Yes. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. The help of my countenance and my God. So we come here to the last chorus, and I love that last line. The help of my countenance and my God. You see, when we look at the difference, the, the definition of countenance, it means a person's face or a facial expression or here, the face of God. Have you ever been going through a tough time and thought on somebody's face? Now, here it is. I was at the, uh, the CHP Academy. And what I would do is I would think on the beautiful face of my wife. I'd be on a tough run and I'd just think about her. And that would get me through. That would be something that would motivate me in order to go ahead and complete the run. It would motivate me to go ahead and pass that next test. To make it through the remainder of the week. So that then I could see her again on the weekend. Now, the second definition of countenance also means support. So, the support... Of God. You see, He's not rooting for us to fail. Instead, it's quite the opposite. We have His support. I'd like to kind of wrap up with this. You're feeling depressed? Spiritually thirst for God. Don't see an end in sight? Hope in God. Trials and tribulations that you're going through? 
pray to the God of my life. I'd like to end with Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Hope in God. Let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and Lord, we thank you for time spent together. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we can open up your word, that you've given us a church. And Lord, it's not just a building, but it's each and every person that is here. And Lord, uh, right now, I just want to lift up the gentleman in the back, Lord, who's having difficulties, Lord, that your healing hand would be upon him. Lord, that you would be Jehovah Rapha. Lord, that you would be by his side. Lord, because it is you that we can put our faith and trust in and know that you've got this. So, Lord, each and every one of us now, as you say, your word says, wherever two or more gather, that you are in their midst. So hear these prayers, Lord. And I pray that those have come here, those that are going through trials and tribulations, Lord, again, that you would be their strength, that they would put their hope in you. So, God, know how much we love you. How much we thank you. How much we sing your praises. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen.